The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to a lights out edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein. We're joined by MMA promoter Sean Merriman. How about that? Uh, totally a new line of work for him, although you've been doing it for a few years. Uh, we're going to talk about your upcoming event, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 10 taking place Saturday, August 26th at Casino Palma. That's in San Diego County. I'm guessing the core audience here on Tim Graham and Friends probably won't be getting tickets to that. Uh, got a lot of Buffalo uh, watchers and listeners here, but you can watch it on FUBU Sports Network. FUBO. FUBU is something totally different. Uh, I guess don't be looking for it at FUBU. Uh, Sean, thanks for doing this. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. So, Sean, tell me about this transition uh, to go from NFL player. That happened a bit ago, 10 years ago. You got into broadcasting, and now you've gravitated to something that seems like a fit for people who've known you over the years, and you're going back to your training with Jay Glazer back in the day. This does seem like uh, uh, the type of thing that if you were to say 10 years from now, uh, Sh uh, Sean Merriman is going to be an MMA promoter, people would have nodded and said, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I joke around with, uh, with with some of my friends now and then everybody's kind of made this transition out to football and what everybody's doing. And you're right, when when everybody brings up the MMA side of it and MMA business, they say, yep, that's, that's right up Sean's alley. Um, and, and so what, what happened was, man, I just grew a passion for the sport, right? I think that, um, you know, my training during the offseason, I originally was doing it just to be a better football player, be able to use my hands a lot more, conditioning, being able to open my hips, you know, doing some of this pummeling and, and jujitsu and all that stuff uh, to launch a Lights Out Extreme Fighting in 2019. And, uh, you know, we just we've quickly jumped in the ranks with, with Fubo Sports uh, now being top five most watched on Fubo Sports. Uh, and this next big event we have coming up in San Diego. Actually, it's my first time doing an event, period, in San Diego since I left there. And so we wanted to make this one a special one. Uh, like you said, it'll be live on Football Sports August 26th at uh, Casino Palma. How would you describe or if you go back and, re and reflect on how the overlap from your MMA training, when did that begin to impact your pass rushing? From 2005 to 2006, you know, to be honest, when I when I got to the NFL, I wasn't that great with using my hands. Um, you know, I relied a lot on the speed and power and athleticism to either go around guys or bull rush them inside. But I just wasn't I wasn't that great with my hands. And that's what got me better, uh, being able to use my hands. And when I'm tired or, or hurt or not myself, I can always go back to just fall back on using my hands. Um, and I try to talk to any 
guy that's uh, just playing right now, either former, former or current, to pick up a combat sport, man. I'm not saying you got to go out and, you know, have any exhibition fights or anything like that, but I think overall it's just going to help you out more with, with your sport. Uh, the New England Patriots legend Andre Tippett was known as one of the great hand fighters, maybe the best hand fighter among pass rushers. He was a black belt martial artist. I, I don't recall the discipline off the top of my head, but he really made it popular because he was so good at it. Um, who who are the best hand fighters in the NFL today, Sean? I think right now, currently, it's probably Aaron, Aaron Donald. Um, or you're talking about on a defensive line. You got some other guys that's really good at using their hands. Um, but when you talk about actual hand combat, uh, to me, Aaron Donald pops out um, because he's an extremist. And I know they posted that one clip of him using the, the fake knives or whatnot and things like that. But he is a uh, he is a hand combat te technician. And I think it's really due to him, you know, him being his size, having his speed and being able to use his hands, you know, a guy of his size shouldn't be able to take a, somebody that's 320 plus pounds and lift them off of their feet, right? They just shouldn't. Uh, but his hand combat skills is bar none in, in NFL right now. Anybody on the Bills that you see has some of those qualities? Um, yeah, I mean, look, Vaughn, Vaughn is really, really good with his hands as well. Most, most of the guys is really good with their hands were either undersized or kind of lacking in the area. And for me, it was like, uh, it, I relied on it when I got hurt, when I tore my Achilles, I wasn't really as fast anymore. I didn't have that explosion anymore. And so I would get there a little bit slower than I would typically get there. And that's, that's how I even stayed in a, in a, in a league a couple extra years, because I was relying on my hand combat because I didn't have that anymore. I didn't have the explosion. I wasn't the same player, but I was able to, you know, kind of fall back on being able to use my hands. Uh, Andre Tippett, by the way, a seventh degree black belt. I don't want to shortchange the guy just by calling him a mere black belt. He's a seventh degree black belt in karate. And there's a specific form that I can't pronounce, but uh, it is karate. Um, you mentioned Aaron Donald, number one, which doesn't surprise me because he's a unicorn. He is a defensive tackle and yet totally um, plays like an edge rusher almost. Uh, it, but how? How would you break down hand fighting among interior defensive linemen versus edge rushers? Because I'm thinking that that's probably something that came along much later to that interior position than guys were being taught on the edge to to do that. Yeah, it's it's um it's a little bit different because these interior guys they're more square up and down the middle as they pass rushing. So their first initial hand combat is going to be down the middle of a guy. And then they start to work the uh, outside shoulders or the inside and outside shoulders of a guy. When you're um, when you're a pass rusher on the outside in a five technique or a seven technique, you're using half a man hand combat, right? So you instantly go into use working a guy's half body, whether it's their inside or outside, but it's very seldom down the middle initially, even though you probably will end up there. So uh, the the thought process and the mind process to that whole thing is, hey. You hit a guy hands right as soon as you get out your stands. You're right down the middle of your interior, and then you start to work a half a man. On the outside, it's a half a man first, and then it's everything else second. Do you see a guy out there, Sean, who is ha has this as a missing component to his game? As if he were, as if to say, add hand combat to this guy's. Re uh, um, repertoire and he is elite is there a guy that you know that 
that maybe it's missing? Or is everybody taught this by this stage uh, at, at a very high level? Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing is, um, you know, we talk about Tippett and, you know, got a couple guys back then who was doing it. Now it's kind of across the board. You look at the top 10 pass rushers um, in the NFL right now, they're all really, really good at um, using their hands. And, you know, I got a chance to work with uh, with Chuck Smith, right, who's now, the, I think, the defensive line coach for um, for the Ravens. But outside, he's a pass rush coach. And I've worked with him. He's one of the best. Chuck Smith that played for the Falcons back in the day. Um, he's the best pass rushing coach that I've ever worked with. And now when guys go see him, it's all about hand combat and being able to use your hands. But before anything else, it's like speed, get off, use your hands right away. And I don't think it was always like that early on. It's, it, guys now know that that has to be a part of part of your game. Uh, I want to ask you about your days with the San Diego Chargers in a very specific way that applies to this year's Buffalo Bills. Uh, I know that as somebody who is also uh, involved with the NFL media, you're paying attention. You know what the storylines are. You played for the quintessential great coach who couldn't win it all. Marty Schottenheimer is the name that is dropped at all times when it comes to that. Great coach just couldn't get it done in the postseason. Sean McDermott has kind of taken over uh, that as for, among current coaches. He's got a long way to go, I think, to knock Marty Schottenheimer off that perch. But I think a lot of Bills fans who have short memories, who don't remember that team that you came to that was in the middle of a 17-year drought, there are a lot of Bills fans. I get it in my mailbag submissions all the time. They're ready to move on from Sean McDermott. What would be your educated advice on moving on from a coach or knowing when it's time to maybe get you over the hump um, or just your experience of having the frustrations of getting so close uh, and then uh, whether or not a change is made. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it open at that. I don't want to walk you down any path. Yeah, no, no. There's, there's definitely some similarities there. Um, and, you know, look, the NFL is a win right now basis. It's performance based. And once you stop doing that or you're not getting a championship, you're right. People are going to be calling for you to get out. Right. It's just a part of the business. And I've seen it several times. People calling for Coach Sean McDermott to get to get uh, to move on from him. Um, what you got to really realize and understand, is look at the whole grand scheme of everything. Right. That division just got better. I mean, that that, that really is is the key. And. We I seen that back when I was in charge. You make these, um, you know, these comparisons. You know, teams like Kansas City, the Raiders even started to get better. They beat us right my last year with the Chargers, and we would stump them for years. And so that's what we're seeing out of that AFC East right now. I, it's less about them uh, not being a good team anymore, getting over the hump, more than. Uh, this period of window that they have with Josh Allen and Diggs and that defense, those guys that play up front, you have this window where you're supposed to go out and try to win a championship, right? Uh, because you know that division is going to get better. Aaron Rodgers being on the Jets now, they they become a better team. When Tua is healthy, they're a much better team. They got Tyreek Hill, you know, Phillips, guys are popping up on the defense side of the ball who can go and play. And if you go out, if, if the Patriots go out and, and get a, a big play wide receiver and a, some more weapons on the offense side of the ball, which it looks like they're trying to do, Mac Jones is going to be better. And so to me and how I look at it, because I've been through it, it's less about them not being a good team and more about everybody else in that division is just catching up. 
And you got to take that, take advantage of that window you guys have of going out and, and potentially winning a championship. So what would be your advice to Bills fans in terms of patience uh, regarding uh, having this window, having Josh Allen uh, and 13 seconds? Um, I don't know that you, I'm on record as saying you can't fault them for not coming through last year. They went through so much uh, with DeMar Hamlin, with their co-owner being in the hospital, with the Matt Ariza situation, with Dawson Knox's brother dying, with having to play three road games in a 12-day span because of weather moving and winning them all, by the way. Yeah. Um, they went through a lot. They were out of gas. Um, a lot of people, but a lot of fans don't want to give them any sympathy there. It is, you were the Super Bowl favorite. You came up short. Um, so I, again, how much patience, uh, should be in play here? Yeah. I mean, they, fans aren't patient, right? They, they just aren't, especially when you can, you, you should win, right? You should go out and the team, the caliber team you have right now, you're more than capable of winning these games and potentially getting a championship. So fans are not going to be patient to that at all. I would say this, out of everything you named, um, they're a very resilient team. Right. And what I hope don't happen, what I kind of see a little bit happening is when you start to lose or you're not living up to the expectations of fans or people that's watching is this. You start they start people start to nitpick. Right. And every single thing that's going on. And, I, and one of them being, you know, the Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs situation is all season thing. And, you know, you got two guys who are, who are very close, very close friends. And. When if Stefan doesn't show up to a certain thing or or it seems like there's some kind of animosity, it's just going to be amplified because people are, have a thousand other gripes. They're just adding that one in and people start to uh, micro look at everything and micromanage every part that's going on wrong with them at this point. And that happens when you don't take the opportunity to win these games and get a championship when you have a championship caliber team. And so that that's my biggest, you know, you know, kind of fear for them is that they could fall into that hole where the littlest thing um, that happens is going to be amplified, going to be blown out of proportion because people are already, in a sense, pissed off on them potentially not winning when they should win. And that that I see kind of you know happening here down the road. Do you think that Stefan Diggs missing all of the voluntary o OTAs and one of the days at the minicamp, you know, if you were a defensive player on the team, you know, how would you kind of react to that? No, no, not at all. And then, you know, when you look at a guy like Stefan Dix and what he's accomplished and what he's done, um, these involuntary workouts and things like that, you, of course, you want everybody there. Um, you want everybody there on the team to cause that unity, that camaraderie. I get it. Um, somebody that caliber who's been doing it as long as he has at that level, I don't look too much into that, right? Um, I don't say that there's because of the contract dispute or there's a problem on the team. You know, we we everything everybody knows, and Josh Allen's been extremely vocal about their relationship and what he feels about Diggs. Um, and you know, Stefan, to be honest, and you know, obviously I'm a I know him well because he's a you know former Terp and, and so forth. You know, he has a lot of um off the field, you know, things that he wanna do. And the only time to be able to do it is during the offseason because right now, from now point on, is is go time and you gotta be there, it's mandatory. And you want to also show your teammates like, hey, I'm I'm here, right? Um, I'm going to we, we're all together. I'm putting in the time, putting in the effort. 
Um, but I just don't look into those smaller things um, when it comes to somebody of Stephon Day's caliber. You know, how things have changed, like you saying uh, nitpicking uh, when you have Stefan Diggs not showing up for one workout, one mandatory workout um, versus what it used to be uh, with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, for instance, when you arrived, Sean, and this is a totally different organization. You played under uh, Ralph Wilson ownership, Buddy Nix, the general manager, Chan Gailey, the coach. Everybody has been changed out. There are very few people, I'm guessing, when you show up to Orchard Park to uh, see a game who are even with the team. Even the communications department has been totally overhauled. Um, all the assistant coaches, the scouts, there might be a couple of scouts left over. But during that 17-year drought when you arrived, um, well, hell, I mean, you even go back to the 80s. The late when Tom Cousineau refused to report to the Bills, Jim Kelly went to the USFL, trashed Buffalo before he even uh, before he was forced to come to Buffalo against his will. Vontae Davis quitting at halftime of a game. Anquan Bolden signing, sticking around for a week and saying, I don't want to be here. Dre Archer refusing to report after being claimed by waivers. Richie Incognito reported against his will from the St. Louis Rams. Sean Merriman took a couple of days uh to get to, to get to orchard park yeah um let me let me again let me let me uh, uh, put people in the maybe your frame of mind let me take uh, a shot let me take a shot at it sean but here's a guy who started his career with three pro bowls in his first three seasons uh rookie of the year 2005 all pro 2006 on a 14 win team uh, and then, and I think led the, led the NFL in sacks your second year, right? You were all yeah, pro, yeah. uh, 2007, get to the AFC championship game ahead or uh, trailing by only two points heading into the fourth quarter against the 2007 new England Patriots, a pretty good team, by the way, and then getting claimed off waivers by the last place bills. Um, what's going through your mind at that point? joining that organization i uh to, to keep it you know 100 to be honest about this time i didn't want to go you know I, I just didn't want to and it wasn't the city of buffalo that was concerned about me it was uh the record at the time and and then practically you know five or six games into the season already probably one or two games of being out of the playoffs before i can get there so you know the call from buddy nicks was was not a it wasn't a fun one Right. Where I was just up front. I said, guys, look, I said, buddy, I love you. Uh, you know, please tell Mr. Wilson, thank you for the consideration. I don't want to I don't want to be there. I'll come and see you as my exact words after the season is over. And then we'll talk about maybe signing a deal in Buffalo. But give me an opportunity to go to a team that's going to possibly go to the playoffs. Um, and Buddy Nix wasn't having it. You know, Mr. Wilson, they wasn't having it. They wanted me in the locker room. Uh, they knew I wasn't the player that I that I once was because of injuries and all that. So they and they understood. They were like, no, we just want you here in the locker room. And Buddy told me this, and I'll never forget this. He said, Sean, I get it. I understand. But once you get here, you're going to change your mind. You're going to feel different. And I told him, I said, Buddy, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't care. Uh, I'm not coming. Right. And uh, he said, OK, well, I'm just letting you know, if you don't come, it's it, the fine is twenty thousand dollars a day. And uh I said, okay, well, when you guys turn that plane, right? So I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to take that kind of hit. 
But he was right, man. I, it was my first week when I got there and I just saw the city. And when I was in the airport, it were people, um, you know, when I was leaving and coming out of town, it was just, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. And, and I would say this, it, it really was um, one of the highlights of my sports career and getting an opportunity to play there because you don't see that. You know, we had a great team out with the Chargers, but San Diego, San Diego, people got plenty of other things to do, right? The weather's nice. They can go to the beach. They can go do other things. And people came and supported us because we had, you know, we had an all-star of a team, right? We had four or five different Hall of Famers. We won a lot of games. It's easy to go and support the Chargers, but very seldom do you get the type of love that you get in Buffalo. And, you know, it'll be times I'll be walking on the street or going to a restaurant and people just wave and talk to you, stop and talk to you like you're a second or third cousin. Right. And I was like, hold on, this is, you know, why even without even asking for a picture, just stop and talking to you and, you know, know everything about your career. So I did, I, I didn't experience that before. And I was, I was fortunate, even I was scratching and, you know, screaming not to go there. I was fortunate to be able to see that. Um, because that's that that kind of love I've I haven't seen in you know in a fan base that in that kind of capacity. What is it about that then that it brings you back for I think you said you come to a game every year? You know, you didn't play here for very very many years, but it seems like you're very attached to this community from those two seasons you were in Buffalo. Yeah, it's almost um, you know, you feel in debt, indebted a little bit, um, because Let's be honest, man. I wasn't. I wasn't when I was getting there. I wasn't the same player. I wasn't explosive as I was. I just, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't close to the player I was those three years. And you know, banged up, injuries, torn knee, reconstruct, full, fully reconstructed knee, torn Achilles. I just wasn't the same. But you know, the love that I got there is that I was still that same player that I was. And you know, to kind of get welcomed like that with open arms, it just it doesn't really happen, you know, that way. And um, you know, I, I end up talking Nick Barnett and Kurt Morris and Mario Williams, all these guys to come there. And I think that, uh, you know, buddy, buddy Nick's kind of sent me on those missions. And hey, I got, you know, I got Mario Williams coming in today. I know you guys have got a relationship. Well, I got Nick Barnett coming in today. I got Kurt Morris. And he said, aren't you a Kurt friend? I said, yeah, that's my boy. I, you know, I need you to talk to him. And so I became like a, like a bridge to kind of get more, you know, high high caliber guys out to play with me. And then it was, it was great, man. I wouldn't change that part of it for the world. What was your pitch to Mario Williams? Cause he, he took a while to make that decision, maybe a bit longer than you did. Uh, I guess he got probably tired of me calling him or texting him, <laughs> you know? Um, but it was, it was the same thing. I explained to why I, why I went there and then also re-signing, right. Um, you know, outside of, you know, obviously he, he got a, he had a pretty good contract, but, I told him we were on a we were on a few players away from being a really good team, and we were right. I was so shocked when I got there in uh, 2010 or whatever it was, um, the type of players that they had in the locker room. You know, with Fred Jackson, Stevie, and Fitzy, and all these guys. I'm looking like, how in the hell are you guys on five, on six? How was how was that possible? And you look around at that team, uh, you know, Chris Kelsey and and um, Williams and all, all I mean they were stacked and so before I got there I'm like you know how in the hell you guys are on five on six it didn't make any sense and so my pitch to Mario Williams these guys like we're we're a player away like you right to being able to turn this thing around and we were right we needed a, a, a veteran like Nick Nick uh, uh, Barnett and Kurt Morrison these guys we needed them guys there and so I was a 
you know, intricate part in trying to help us get to where we needed to go. All right. I'm asking this with a smile on my face. Uh, what happened at the border, Sean? Uh, it's one of the great Buffalo sports mysteries. Um, what, what'd you go through? I uh, went through hell, man. Um, I'd actually, you know, when I came out to Buffalo, I literally packed all my stuff, you know, my, in the car. And I had literally half of my place, um, cause I didn't leave out any furniture, whatever. I had my suitcases, uh, PR, uh, um, electro machines and all my stuff, everything. I had everything with me. And, you know, I didn't know that we wasn't supposed to travel across the border with this stuff, you know, stuff that, you know, you can't big machines and it doesn't, it, it didn't, it didn't sit well. So um, it was a little bit embarrassing, man, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, I wasn't mad at it. I get it. I mean, I, I went across the border with uh, a, a truck full of equipment and, and clothes and suitcases and, uh, electrical machines and things that I didn't know there were medical devices. I had no idea. And, um, anyway, it turned out to be all right, but, you know, initially came out like, guys, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> I got pulled over at the border. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah, I look back on it now, like, damn, that sucked, but, um, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was big as, as it came out to be. I think that the bill's training uh, facility has gotten a little bit better. Uh, since 2010. And I would not be surprised if you were bringing things over the border that even the the Buffalo Bills uh, didn't know uh, existed uh, or they didn't even have. Uh, you were you were probably better equipped than the Bills uh, training room at that time. I was. Man. I, look, I had um, all the hyperbaric machines, you know, the big expensive stuff. All the uh, the filter air tracing, the, the la I had lasers, um, you know, I had lasers in the car. I mean, I had, you know, everything. I probably spent, <laughs> you know, a hundred and something plus thousand dollars on just medical devices and equipment. And if I, I didn't know that you couldn't carry that stuff across the border without, you know, uh, documentation and all this stuff. I mean, I had a bunch of stuff, man. And um, but you're right. They I, I had this for me personally. Uh, I'm sure they got better with their equipment, and everything else. But I'm I'm so used to doing everything on my own, man, and and uh, I'm sure they got better with it. Now, if I could ask you another smaller mystery, but I was always curious about this. A few years back, you were supposed to uh, be putting some fans through tables in the parking <laughs> lot of the Bills games, and that that didn't happen. You know, how did that how did that idea come about, and then what what happened that prevented that from actually coming to fruition? Yeah, I uh, so I was getting a bunch of requests for that anyway to uh, you know to slam a couple fans through um, through the tables because that you know obviously that was a thing. And what happened was I got a the team had reached out and said hey they think that's fun that's cool but they'd rather me not do it right. And um, yeah, of course I got still a really good relationship with the team and uh, the people in the front office, media department, the community service department. And they, they all loved it, the idea. They thought it was great. It was like, Sean, it's a little bit too risky, uh, you know, on on, uh, on on the grounds. And so I said, okay, all right. Uh, what if I do it in the grass somewhere? And I was like, just joking around. But, I, you know, I just respected the team. And I had a really good relationship. And they asked me not to not to do it. So what do you think about that phenomenon? That wasn't really going on, I think, when you played here. But over the years, that's become a very common thing that happens in parking lots and elsewhere around Buffalo. Social media, man. I mean, social media, I think that, I, you know, when it came to that, it was the most entertaining thing by any by any uh, team in the league. Like no one had something that was that exciting than Bill's Mafia was and throwing and jumping through tables and things like that. Man, it 
you know, it got so big that I know that the team didn't like it happening, right? Um, because somebody heard or they didn't want to be known as that. But that Bill, that Bill's Mafia is something different, man. Like I said, I can't really stop talking about him enough because, you know, it's one thing to see it on social media. It's another thing to pull up in Orchard Park um, at, you know, 10 in the morning or 930 in the morning and it being 50,000 people out there plus in the parking lot. Um, you know, that people, uh, you know, selling their spaces in their garage and driveways in the communities because the parking lot is filled up, right? You see everybody like parking cars on lawns. And it was, it was one of those things that you, it's, it's hard to describe unless you see it, uh, see it for yourself. I mean, I'll give you a prime example, man. When, you know, we beat the Patriots, right? We beat the Patriots when I was out there and um, that city was on fire for like two days. They had to shut things down. You know, roads were closed. Businesses were closed. I mean, it was crazy, and, uh, you know, I, I still haven't seen anything like that. I've never been a part of anything like seeing, you know, something of that magnitude, man. That was that was next level. What about your experience with world wrestling entertainment? Speaking of being dropped through tables, have you ever been dropped through a table as part of uh, a routine uh, as a pro wrestler? No, no, I haven't. Um, but it was it was part of my training that I was going to end up doing at some point. So uh, when I was working with the WWE um, at their facility in in uh, Orlando, you know, they had just built that the state of the art. I mean, this facility was 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 ridiculous, right? They had all the things in it, like ten rings, um, all the you know equipment to work out at a full on big gym, a full on like. Uh, uh, rooms where you go and cut your promos and things like that. This place is amazing. And they used to have uh, what we call the eye in the sky in there, right? So Vince McMahon is actually watching, you know, watching people work out or watching tryouts from his office, uh, from the cameras that's in there. And so he actually watched my workout and he basically told them to him, like, sign, sign him. Like, we, you know, I, I went to the workout for an hour, um, Billy Gunn, I don't know if you remember watched wrestling too much, but Billy Gunn was my uh, in-ring coach. Um, Regal was my, you know, was the grappling coach there. Dusty Dusty Rhodes was the, uh, like, character developer. Um, I mean, JBL was, it was crazy. You know, all the people who I watched and admired growing up was taking me through my workouts. So that was fun. Um, hosting WrestleMania in New Orleans. Um, you know, I... Obviously, growing up being a fan of WWE, now to get sitting by, you know, Mankind and Shawn Michaels and Booker T, you know, these guys are up here on the panel with me. And we're talking during WrestleMania. So uh, that was that was a great experience, man, that I can't really uh, I, I'm glad I got a chance to to be a part of that for, for that period of time with the WWE Network. What do you think your character would have been? You, you mentioned Dusty Rhodes uh, probably would have had a lot of influence on that. But as a fan. Uh, and then going through that process, that's something you probably gave a lot of thought to. Uh, what what would you be? Would you be a face? Would you be a heel? Uh, did you have a costume ready to go? What 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 was in you know, in play here? So this, I was at NXT was down there. I don't know if you watch, if you know what NXT is. It's like the other, their minor league, whatever it is. But it's huge in other countries and whatnot. It's still massive. Um, I was sitting back there for two hours watching everybody else, you know, cut their promos. And these are all the people who are superstars now that was there in NXT when I was there. So you name it, they were there. 
Um, so right before I'm about to get up, I'm there for two hours, watch everybody is coming to an end. I'm about to get up. I look at my publicist uh, and I say, hey, you, you ready to go? Let's get out of here. Right when I'm about to get up, Dusty Rose said, I bet you won't believe I'm going to do this, but 56, bring your ass on down here. Right. This is exactly what he said with Dusty Rose. Mind you, I don't. I, I had no time to prep. I had no you know, real experience into what the character was going to be, what they wanted to wanted to see out of me. I just knew that when Dusty Rose called you there, you you go, you you go up front. You don't tell him no. I'm like, okay, so I got 30 seconds to come up from the time I got up to the time I had to walk to the front of everybody and cut this promo. And I just started to, I just cut it. You know, I just ripped, started ripping into people. And I watched, I had so much material because I just watched for two hours everybody's promo. So I just, I just started ripping people who I saw cutting their promos. Um, when I was done, JBL and Dusty walked over to me and said that was a, one of the best promos, if not the best we've ever seen of anybody who with no experience. Um, and so things were things were great. And then uh, the WWE Network, they uh, they had gone through a bunch of turn, turnover. They had fired like 10 or 15 percent of their entire staff. Um, so it fell through. But I ended up working with them doing um, Smackdowns and Monday Night Raws. Lights out, Extreme Fighting 10. It is Saturday, August 26th at Casino Palma in San Diego County. It will be on Fubo Sports Network. Uh, Sean, I, I know that you have described your uh, your MMA uh, organization as a grassroots type pipeline. Um, how would you, um, I, I guess I'll just leave, leave the floor open to, uh, to let people know uh, how you envision or what the business philosophy is of uh, lights out. Yeah, we, we definitely have the next up and coming superstars, right? There's no doubt about that. Um, some of these guys are uh, going to probably continue on to go to the UFC. Actually, I think two or three of them already have contracts on the table uh, for the UFC contender. Uh, so we, we like that. We like giving these guys an opportunity to be seen. Uh, we have anywhere between 14 and 16 fights in a night. Uh, but more importantly, man, what's happened over the last six months is uh, the the tech, um, you know, engagement uh, platforms, these AI platforms. And we've become more of a incubator uh, for a lot of different technologies that's going to be a part. You know, for example, we have chips and gloves is coming where you can measure speed, power, accuracy, all those things. And there'll be live data that the fans will be able to watch and see on Fubo, right, where the commentators are talking about that speed that you know, knock the guy out or punch the body, whatever it is, where the, where the punch is landed at. So um, all these things are coming. So that that is um, what we've kind of transitioned to a little bit. The fights are going to be great, right? Uh, we produce about three to four hours of live content a night for fights. And once we get this, uh, you know, a lot of these text, text uh, uh, you know, things added to what we're building, these other verticals, um, it's going to make it really fun and interesting for the fans. And, and I've always been about the fans, man. And that's why I keep talking to even, you know, outside of here, getting a chance to talk to you guys while I talk about Buffalo, man, because, you know, the fans are so important to what we do. And without them, you know, they don't buy any tickets. They don't, you know, show up. They don't do these things. Watch on Fubo. Um, and so I've always tried to get back to the fans. And what we're do doing now is trying to get the fans more involved with this uh, fan engagement technologies that we're going to be introducing. What is the long range uh, plan for Lights Out? Um, do you want to remain at this level uh, or do you see this as uh, 
as, as evolving uh, into something else? I think we're just going to organically grow. Um, you know, we don't, the thing is, man, UFC has done a great job at just branding what they're doing. They're, they're global. And, you know, anybody that get in this industry and want to compete with the UFC is just not smart. It's really not, you know, um, you need to find a way to exist without trying to be them. Right. If you're going to have any success in this business, because UFC is the reason why I, I got into the sport to begin with. You know, I was going uh, to MMA fights. My first one is 2005 that I, that I went to. And I've been going since. I just went to the, the fight they had. And I watched Brandon Moreno fight my guy over there and Bo Nickel. Um, I went to that fight at T-Mobile. So I'm still very active. Um, but anybody that get in this uh, in this space and want to just go out and, hey, wanna be, we want to be bigger than UFC, it's just not, a, to me, in my opinion, not a, not a very smart business move. Maybe not now at 39 years old, uh, but did you ever flirt with the idea of competing? Yeah, actually, I did. Um, I had a uh, we were talking to Bellator back in 2016 when I was training uh, on a daily basis. I was training every day um, about doing a fight and uh, the money just wasn't there. Right. I was uh, I was doing a broadcasting thing. I believe I was at I think ESPN or Fox Sports at that around that time. Um, and I had my stuff going with lights out clothing line and I was very busy. So I was like, you know, in order for me to go and train, I have to stop doing some of this other stuff. So the, the money had to been worth it and the money never got there, but yeah, man, I mean, even still now I'll, I'll jump in and, and I'll spar on Fridays. If we got open mat, um, I still train, you know, at Randy Couture's gym and, you know, a couple of gyms in, in, in LA and California. Uh, I like to still stay after a little bit, man. I'm, you know. If they look, if there was a former athlete or somebody else that wanted to fight, I still would if I knew the fans wanted to see it. Uh, but I, I love being on this side of things, promoting these up and coming fighters. I got the opportunity, man, to play on the biggest stage there ever there ever will be in this country, and that's in the NFL. Um, and so to be able to kind of transition now to grow this sport in MMA, having that background of being able to see the biggest and the best is is why I'm having the jump start that that I do. Is there any potential for bringing your promotion to Buffalo for an event someday? I, I always look when I post stuff about having fights in different cities, man, I always get people from Buffalo that want it to happen. And believe it or not, there's a lot of really good MMA fighters in that um in that in that area. You know, all the way from, you know, I know it's a little bit far, but Albany and Buffalo and Rochester, there's a, a couple of nice gyms in Rochester with a lot of MMA fighters. So it wouldn't be hard to come there and build a fight. Um, I think it'd be a great place to to come, man. I would love to come back, you know, back to Buffalo and do something very big. And then you can incorporate the, uh, the tables, you know, maybe yeah. some sort of, you can do it on your site, you know, at whether it's whatever arena you're renting out and then you can, uh, you can work that in. No, that that's for sure. And nobody's going to stop me from doing it then. I don't have to worry about any, any complaining. And by the way, I think that it will fit perfect being at an MMA event, uh, seeming how there's going to be a lot of slamming anyway. So it works out. I think if you still got any connections at WWE, you should put the idea in their head of a SummerSlam at the stadium in Buffalo with everybody going through tables before and after and during would be a, you know, a sight to see. You're, you're right about that, man. Um, and I think that works out. And I, I still I'm in communication with the guys over at WWE all the time uh, still. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great idea, man. We go in and, and do an MMA slam fest WWE style. What are you doing to scratch your competitive itch these days, Sean? 
that, you know, I'll, I'll get in there and, um, yeah, I work out at the gym. I do my weights three or four days a week. Um, and sometimes five, but then I'll leave and I'll go do, um, some MMA training. I'll hit the mitts, you know, I'll go through, you know, a, a class, uh, if they all go spar, you know, four or five rounds. And I, you know, for me, it's just, you know, we, and I talk about this a lot. A lot of former athletes struggle making that transition when you're done. And it's hard as hell, especially that first year, you're trying to figure things out. That regimen's gone. That whole thing is gone. That's why guys get depressed and everything else, because that you're just moving on to a different part of your life that you haven't experienced. So um, for me, it helped me out a lot personally, because I was still going to um, train with other MMA fighters and I was still competitive, still in that locker room type of environment. Um, and so I think it's important for a lot of guys to at least look at it, right? Go pick up some jujitsu uh, lessons, go do some Muay Thai, go do some boxing, be active again, because it is definitely hard when you're making that transition after football. Let me ask you this. I don't know what uh, associations you may have with some of these guys, so hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot, but um, NFL players have not had the best success making the transition uh, to MMA fighting. What is the hurdle or is there something inherently involved that just that just doesn't translate? Well, and of you know, course, ground fighting, needing, yeah, you know, yeah. not having a wrestling background. But I mean, is it is it deeper than that? No, it, it's that, man. Um, you know, I think that as much as people hate Greg Hardy and, and just hate him as a, a person and, and anything else, um, he actually had some he had really good success early on for a guy that was only training a couple of years, fighting people that was training for 10 plus years. He actually made a smooth transition. And at some point in time, he just started to fall off and he never kind of turn a corner but you're going to have a guy that plays four or five years in the nfl and say you know what if i don't have this opportunity to continue on my career i'm still physically fit i want to compete and so the money is great enough in mma now that you can make that transition and still have a second career when i retired they wasn't paying guys the way they are now they just wasn't uh so you can come over and easily make six figures a year in mma now that you couldn't do before um, and, and that transition happened. You're not going to get guys that um, that played 10, 15 years, made a lot of money. They're not going to they're not going to do it. You're going to get the guy that's played four or five years, maybe six tops, 27, 28 years old and say, you know what? I'm still physically fit. I want to compete and I want to go make money doing something else and use my body doing it. Those are the type of guys that are going to make that end up making that transition. Solomon Renfro, a local fighter, he wasn't an NFL player, but he was a college football player and was able to make that transition to MMA rather smoothly. Yeah, nope. yes. I don't know if is Solomon Renfro anybody who's on your radar, Sean. I think. Yeah, um, there's a few, there's a few guys, man. Um, you know him. He I, I talked I, I talked to somebody in his camp not too long ago. Somebody in my the matchmakers talked to his camp. Um, you know I talked to Scooby Wright. Uh, you know, he's playing in the XFL right now. Um, I don't know if he got called up to the NFL or not yet, but he's, you know, he's been on the radar talking to. Um, and then there's a few guys, man, that that didn't have that opportunity to play in the NFL that making this that's going to make that transition. Sean, anything else you want to talk about uh, that we didn't ask you about? Oh, uh, no, that's a lot just of bases. A, yeah, no, just to fight, man. Um, this is our this is our biggest one. Um so far, we're going to have, you know, close to 16 fights on that, on that night, on August 26th. And for those who can't come out and check it out, check us out on Fubo Sports, Fubo TV. If you don't have Fubo, get it. 
Um, but we have a lot of fan engagement stuff that's going to come here, man. It's, it's going to be a pretty exciting time. I, I, as somebody who's familiar with boxing telecasts, uh, it, it, does, is Fubo showing all 16 matches? Or? Yeah, I think they, they're probably going to show at least 10. Okay. Right? They're going to show at least 10. Yeah, that's a long day. Uh, yeah, it's going to be three, you know, three or four prelims, and then the other six would be the pro fights. Um, but we'll we'll get everything those other four fights out the way. We'll still have it. And they'll show it at a later date, uh, but it won't it won't make the telecast. But the ten fights for sure will. And for more information, you can go to lightsoutxf.com. That's Sean Merriman's uh, website for his uh, MMA promotion, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. And uh, I'll just give it uh, one more plug here. Lights Out Extreme Fighting 10, Saturday, August 26th at Casino Palma in San Diego area. And that is going to be on Fubo Sports Network. Uh, but who knows? August, uh, well, no, August, yeah, August 26th, you're still on break, you know, with your kids. Maybe you're, maybe you're out there in Southern California and you want to check it out. Sean Merriman will be there. Hell, it's his promotion. It's not like he just throws it together and then has somebody else do it. He'll be there. I'm sure he'll shake a hand and sign an autograph. Uh, Sean, thanks for doing this. Uh, and uh, best of luck to you and your promotion uh, on August 26th. And uh, we'll see you out uh, in Orchard Park here within the next few months. You got it, my man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you.